1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? game serves us it has a definite social purpose nations are bankrupt gone no poverty no sickness man has accomplished what he'd always craved corporate society was an inevitable destiny for good luck a centuries-old dream better do as you're told jonathan that's all i have to say don't be here when i come back you won't be back, Johnny Boy. No player is greater than the game itself. It's not a game a man is supposed to grow strong in, Jonathan. You still don't understand why I came here. You're the only person I ever wanted. Wanted you on my side. That's all. The books you've ordered are classified and have been transcribed and summarized. Well, who summarizes them? Zero, of course. He's the world's brain. Does it answer you? Well, it speaks. <laughs> I'd like, uh... I'd like, uh, some information about corporate decisions, uh, how they're made and who makes them. They're afraid of you, Jonathan. All the way to the top there. The game was created to demonstrate the futility of individual 
Hello everybody and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro and I am joined again after a very long layoff by Mr. Richard Shannon. Uh, Rich and I, I would say we 90% of our conversations are, so what are the Mets doing? What are the Jets doing? What do you think of this? What do you think of that? But every once in a while we get into some movie talk and with the uh, recent passing of James Caan, uh, Rich said, you know, what do you think about maybe doing rollerball? Or actually, if my memory is correct, we talked about doing rollerball while James Conn was still alive. And then with his passing, it was like, maybe we should follow up and actually do that now. Uh, so that's that's exactly what we're doing right now. And uh, I guess the first order of business is to talk about James Conn himself and what we think of him and his career and such. Uh, see, my, my thoughts on James Conn, there's definitely movies that i love that he's in i would agree uh but as far as his acting goes and i i don't mean this to be uh you know to be to be speaking poorly of him uh but as far as his acting goes i'm kind of hot and cold there's performances that i love and there's performances that i'm not really that fond of uh you know he was a significant part of my favorite movie of all time the godfather and i think he was awesome in it uh other movies that i really liked that he was in were brian song uh elf misery el dorado thief you know looking over his his list of movies those are all you know movies i really enjoyed um i can't say they're all you know academy award caliber performances by him but uh he did have a way of being in movies that that you know that came up high on my list he uh, he's apparently also or was very well thought of uh, just as in general as a person. So I kind of like that aspect of it. Uh, what's your overall take on him? Well, I, I put James Conn in, in your 70s tough guy category because he always played that kind of part. And uh, when you mentioned Brian's song, that's what got him cast for this this movie Rollerball. That's what won him the the role. Uh, the mo the movies you uh, had stated that you liked him in, I could agree on all of them. I'd like to add a couple. The Gambler, he's really good in that. And uh, this other movie he made in the, uh, I think it was the late 90s, might have been the early 2000s, called Way of the Gun, which starred uh, Ryan Philippe and Benicio Del Toro. He's got a small kind of supporting role in that, which he's pretty good in as well. But yeah, well, the gambler, the gambler, I I've seen and I agree with you that that was a a mistake to leave that off the list. Uh, Way of the Gun, I've heard of, but I've never seen it, so I can't really comment on that one. Yeah, it's not a bad little movie if you can find it on a cable station. It's 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 a good action movie, good pace, got a nice plot, it's got a decent cast, and it's you know I know it kind of flew under the radar as far as you know recognition wise and all that. It's kind of maybe like a cult favorite, I guess. Right. So th this is an interesting one, though. I, I'm i sure I saw this back in the 70s. 
but I have virtually no memory of it at all when I rewatched it for the sake of talking to you. Um, it fits, it fits, and yet it doesn't uh, with other movies of the time. You know, the the science fiction dystopian movies, uh, and you know, we've discussed recently on this show. We've discussed Silent Running and Soylent Green. Um, I think somebody said somewhere that they they saw this as kind of a, a like this is. This is where the world goes from this to the Soylent Green world. Uh, I'm not so sure, but this this is a strange movie because it's a sports movie and a science fiction movie, and the science fiction is not totally you know dominating the movie. It's more the science fiction is more an element of the society that it's done in, and less an element of the you know the actual plot. Right, uh, kind of in the background from the scenery the. And, you know, the way they talk about, you know, the corporate running the world and all that sort of stuff. Exactly. And, and you know, it, in, in a lot of ways, you know, it, it has a lot of typical elements for a sports movie. Uh, in particular, I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Major League where, you know, they're trying to uh, make the team be bad. And that's a sports comedy. But uh, they're trying to make the team ba- be bad so that they would get the fans at, you know, at not rooting for them anymore and be able to move the team and do what they want. And it almost feels like, you know, that's kind of an element of this where they don't want these players to be successful in what they do because it'll give the, you know, the population too much to root for uh, and instead of being able to keep them down. Uh, in, in some ways, I feel like this is the precursor to The Running Man, not so much the movie as the novel, if you ever read the novel. Yeah, I never did. Um, basically, I watched this movie the other night with the director's commentary on, and from what I got out of it was basically you have your six corporations that rule this post, you know, futuristic, you know, world of ours, and because Houston is the dominant team and James Conn is kind of the, you know, he's like the Tom Brady or Michael Jordan of the sport. It's like the other corporations, in order to keep the peace, Houston has to lose. They can't keep being rollerball champions. And I get the impression that they mentioned in the movie that, you know, Jonathan E's been in the league for 10 years, that they've probably, you know, won most of those 10 years. And now it's time, you know, to let another corporation be the champion. But he doesn't want to step down. And I kind of likened it to the New England Patriot run of the 2000s with Belichick and Brady. Imagine at an NFL owners meeting, if you got Goodell telling Robert Kraft, hey, you know, we got to let some of these other teams win a Super Bowl. You know, let Dallas or let Pittsburgh win. You know, so you got to tell those guys, tell Tom Brady it's time to hang it up or tell Bill Belichick, time to move on. That's that's the big <laughs> thing I got from it. Yeah, they didn't. They, I don't think they would have been too fond of that. Uh, the other, the other thing that it kind of brought to mind for me, uh, and this is probably a stretch, but uh, in in Rocky Four, the way the the Russian government is using their boxer to try and be the, uh, you know, the one to create kind of a unified uh, view or. or attitude among their populace to kind of help cement them as a you know in in the the world power aspect of things and it totally throws things off when rocky comes to russia and and defeats their champion right right uh, you know 
so so there's you know i don't know these are the things that ran through my mind seeing it but you know short of that other than you know the societal things and the, and the corporate things uh some of which uh some of which are, are, have come closer to being true over the time since this movie was made uh, than than we would like. Uh, but other than that, you know, it it's, doesn't have a real science fictiony feel to it. Uh, it's it's more, you know, I, I don't know if if it, if it should be put in the category of science fiction. I think it more it's more just kind of a futuristic futuristic cautionary tale. Yeah, if that would make sense. Yeah, kind of like that, or even maybe a semi-futuristic sports movie or human interest type of movie. Yeah, because they never give you a time in when it takes place in the future, and they never really go into any kind of past events other than some when James Kahn's character starts to want to find out more about the corporate wars that they kind of hint about. That's about the most you get. And then I think right. there's one scene in the movie where his best friend, who's played by Moses Gunn, talks about when he was a little kid, he heard his talk about the old NFL, you know, the National Football League, when he was a kid. And you wonder, you're kind of gauging, I wonder how long ago that is if, you know, this was made in the 70s and maybe the movie could take place, say, you know, 50 years later or something. Yeah, it's it's funny because like you know, if you you said something to me but like that in the 1970s, I would have I would have just thought that's crazy. That could never happen. You know, the NFL be, will be here forever. Oh, I agree. Uh, but 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 if you in the 1970s, if you told me, you know, if you get to the year 2022, uh, boxing as you know it will pretty much no longer exist. Uh, I would have said I would have said you're just as crazy, and that is the case. Yeah. Uh, there's there's things you know when we're, when we're growing up, there's things that seem to be just uh, permanent, and over time, you know, things change. And when you look back on it, you don't really think about it, or at least I don't, as it's happening. But when I look back, I, I'm just amazed at things that I thought were, you know, staples that are just gone. And I don't mean the store staples. But I do talk in my mind a lot of different stores that, uh, you know, were around and just gone now. And it's just amazing to me, you know, different things that you just think will be here forever and aren't. So is it possible one day, you know, probably not in our lifetimes, but, you know, at some point the NFL will no longer exist. I'm sure that day is going to come eventually, Uh, you know, and, and who knows, Rollerball might take it over. But not to wax too poetic on that. I do understand that when this came out, uh, the uh, writer, I'm trying to check his name again, I don't remember. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. I'm actually, actually looking at the 2020, 20, 2002 remake, which is not what I wanted to look at. Oh, that's uh, Norman, Ju- Norman Jewison. Uh, Norman Jewison was the uh, director and producer, and it was written by William Harrison. And from what I understand, at least one of them, I think Harrison, was approached that they wanted to uh, actually create a real-life version of Rollerball. And the response to that was, that's crazy. This is a, you know, a satirical thing that was created uh, to show how absurd it is, and you want to do it in real life. Uh, so it, it's interesting. I mean, I guess the closest thing to this is Roller Derby. Right, right. I'll be honest with you, if they ever did try to create a league like this five, ten years from now, I'd actually check it out because from doing the rewatch on the movie and hearing in the director's commentary, 
how the cast and uh, all the stunt men in the movie played this sport even during their off time. They got so into it. And Norma Jewinson even said some of the scenes in the movie, they couldn't choreograph some of the rollerball scenes. They just let the guys play, and they just filmed it. Hmm. That's an interesting concept, but I, I don't, you know, I, I would not, I wouldn't say that it wouldn't be possible to have this be a popular thing. I mean, when you look at the violence that currently exists, and I'm not trying to make a public statement as to whether it should or should not exist, but, you know, what we get in the UFC at this point, uh, and certainly, you know, you, you could see that something like this would have a... Uh, you know, would have a bearing in today's world, and that there would probably be an audience for it if it was done correctly. Uh, the original book, by the way, was again by William Harrison, uh, called Rollerball Murder. Um, it's it's a movie that I feel has gotten kind of like forgotten in the annals of time. And uh, again, I, like I, I started to mention earlier that that we've done a few of the dystopian '70s movies, and I have a. a I do have a warm spot for those movies, uh, but a lot of them have just kind of like they don't have the popularity they once did, and I guess that's that's normal with the passage of time. Yeah. But I don't remember outside of this, they're having the remake of this. I don't remember this movie coming up in any context until you mentioned it to me when we first started talking about it. So this seems to be a forgotten movie at this point. Oh, I, I don't know if I, I call agree. it a forgotten classic, but certainly forgotten. Um, I happen to have a friend who had a copy of it and I watched his, but I don't even know if this is available on any streaming services at this point. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I own a copy of the movie on DVD and that's how I watch it, but I've never noticed it come across any of the streaming services I have. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm going to do a quick search on that while we're talking, but like I said, I have a friend who, you know, has, has a huge library of movies and he does allow me to, uh, to partake in it uh not avail apparently it is available on amazon prime okay i kind of wonder so when james Con when james Con passed if you know a lot of his movies did get dumped on to like the different channels like netflix and hbo max and all that that maybe this might have made it to something yeah well I, I don't know i don't know when it started on there but according to my uh my just watch app it's available on, on Amazon Prime right now. Um, so, well, I mean, I guess we'll talk about the actors a little bit, and we'll, we'll leave James Conn on the uh, back burner for the time being. Uh, I don't know if I could ever see a performance by John Houseman that I don't get a kick out of. Yeah, he he's plays just, the great villain, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He, he's... He's just so easy to dislike in this because he's just so pretentious. Right, right. He doesn't even have to say any dialogue, just his expressions. When you see him sitting there, at they have the one party where Jonathan E. is supposed to announce his retirement, and he doesn't do it, and just the expressions on his face are priceless. Yeah, he's not not, not only pretentious, as I said, but also condescending. Like, you know, you, when you hear him speak, it's almost like he's, it's almost like he's patting you on the head. Yeah, uh, you know that, that, that in his mind you're, you're nothing more than a child, uh, and you know that that started in the movie. As far as I know, it started in the movie The Paper Chase, where he plays a law school professor. 
and and uh, you know it's, it it only went forward from there. But he was also uh, you know big on teaching acting to people. Uh, so he he's he's just terrific. Uh, Maud Adams. My only familiarity with Maud Adams outside of this is uh, James Bond. You know two James Bond movies that she was in, Octopussy yeah. and The Man with the Golden Gun. Otherwise, I would not know who Maud Adams was to be honest with you. I'm in the same boat as you, Paul. Um, I think I might have seen her in maybe one or two other movies, but it wasn't enough of a performance for me to be able to recall them. I think she was somebody who was really popular in this time period, mid-70s. But after the, I think after that, I think she kind of dropped off the radar. Right. The older she, I mean, she was, well, her character, I don't so much... It's not so much her acting as just the existence of her character kind of shows you what the, you know, the commentary on society there, because she's uh, James Conn's wife. But even then, the corporations kind of rule, and she was just kind of taken away from him by the corporation. Yeah, and then when she does come back to visit him because he wants to see her again, she he basically, because she's telling him he's got he's to retire, and he confronts her to the point where he said if I retire do I get you back and it's basically it's almost like I think he knows what the answer is that that's the only way she'll come back to him because she tells him she has a whole new life with a husband and a family at that point of the movie yeah exactly because she was basically put in that position so otherwise we have well John Beck plays a you know he's a very likable character he's uh Khan's best friend and you know cohort on the team uh and they you know they have the moment it, it almost feels a little rote uh for such a movie but you know there's the scene where, where he gets badly injured and then you know that that only uh strengthens uh Jonathan uh James Khan his his resolve to to not give this up and to you know to move on and to to prevail, uh, but they keep changing the rules on him too as well, which you know it, it, it almost seems comical. You know each each new match, the rules are changed. Now there can be no penalties. You know that kind right, of thing. Right, right, yeah. Because no they're just doing it in yeah. an effort because they want him to die in the on the on the uh, on on the. I don't even know what you call it, the arena, whatever you call the uh, the arena. Yeah, the, the final the match is almost like a Thunderdome. Basically, you know, only one man's going to walk out. So now, that said, let's let's talk about James Conn's performance in this thing. Um, he definitely, to me, this, this is one that I, I should have had a little higher on my list of, you know, when I talked about movies that I like him in. Because I do think he stepped up in this. I think his acting in this is better than in in some of the movies that some of the better movies that he was in. I think his acting really held up in this one uh, because he does play the part of the guy who, you know, he he's involved in in this whole thing. He's he's the champion, uh, and and he you know he knows kind of where he stands as far as the sport goes. Uh, but he doesn't realize how much he's being manipulated until it starts coming to, to pass. He doesn't realize how much power the government has, but then he has to fight against it. And and by government, I mean the corporations. Uh, I think that there are some subtleties to his performance as he just becomes aware of everything that's going on that I think are really cool. 
Yeah, it's when he's first told to retire, he kind of doesn't know what to do, but as the movie goes on and everybody he approaches, whether it's, you know, Moses Gunn, who plays his good friend, he's, he's like his mentor, and then when he goes to this different computer facility that's supposed to hold all the knowledge and he wants to get some corporate answers and the supercomputer can't even answer them, everybody's telling him to retire, but he, he, wants to, he wants to play. He loves the game. He just feels that if he retires, it's almost like he's kind of bowing down to the corporations, which I think if they ever made a sequel to this movie, I get the impression that the way the movie ends, I don't think he gets out of the arena alive. I think they find some way to knock him off because the people are so behind him by the by the time the movie ends. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. I hadn't really thought about that. That, uh, you know, even though he ends up uh, successful, you know, in the game, that you don't know where it's going to go. You just kind of assume, probably wrongly so, that he's going to, you know, do well in life somehow. He's, you know, he's going to change how things are looked at. But no, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think you're right. I think, you know, the corporations are too big and, and ultimately, you know, he's going to have to succumb to them. Uh, it's kind of sad to think of it that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's almost like they can't have one person, you know, stand out in society in this the way this uh, the movie shows this part kind of future. It's like everybody kind of all is, you know, all for one and one for all. There can't be any individuals. Okay. It's, you know, it, it feels like, I guess, you know, I talked about how we were looking at other 70s movies uh, of a similar uh, genre, if there can be considered to be a similar genre. But it's it's almost like that's the way of, of the movies of that generation and I, I i keep saying 70s so i'll start but i start with planet of the apes which is actually 1968 but that even after things are taken care of there's still kind of a a a, a sad sour ending you know charlton heston learns that the earth is uh really where he landed with the, you know with the apes having taken over right or you know he realizes soiling green is people but he's not going to be able to stop that from happening or uh well you go to the omega man if you want to go to the heston trilogy and you know the mm -hmm. disease that's you know turned people into zombies yeah yeah it, it's happy endings weren't their thing in the 70s no 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 but i you know i i don't know if people viewed it in that era as being you know subtle the critical response i'm just going to read you know i'm looking on the uh the, the wikipedia page so vincent canby of the new york times was unimpressed he said all science fiction can roughly can be roughly divided into two types of nightmares in the first the world has gone through a nuclear holocaust and civilization has reverted to a neo stone age in the second, in which Rollerball is an elaborate and very silly example, all of mankind's problems have been solved, but at the terrible price of individual freedom. The only way science fiction of this sort makes sense is to, as a comment on the society for which it's intended, and the only way Rollerball would have made sense is a satire of our national preoccupation with televised professional sports, particularly weekend football. Yet Rollerball isn't a satire, it's not funny at all. And not being funny, it becomes instead frivolous. Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune gave the film two stars out of four and called it a movie in love with itself, 
and vapid, pretentious, and arrogant. Not even John Houseman's fine performance as a villainous corporate director is sufficient to make Rollable tolerable. So it did not come to good good reviews. But, you know, I don't think, you know, I guess uh, Vincent Camby and I have a disagreement on satire because I don't think satire necessarily has to make you laugh. I think satire has to be ironic in some ways. I think satire has to make you scratch your head and wonder how the heck things could have gotten this far. I think, you know, a lot of humor, uh, and again, I'm not saying this is a comedy, but a lot of humor is based on the extreme ridiculousness of things. And I think this movie is playing with that trope of saying, look how ridiculous we've gotten with our, with our sports infatuation that we make these people our heroes and, and, you know, don't hold them accountable or whatever, you know, however you want to look at it in that respect. So I do think in that respect, it is a satire. It's just not a funny satire. Oh, I Did I lose you, Rich? I lost you there for a second, Paul. No, I got you now. You just cut out for a split second. Okay. So yeah, any thoughts from you on that? Well, the way I, I look at it as far as uh, a futuristic sports movie is, you know, it's like rollerball is the game that almost keeps the world peace between the corporations. Interesting that, you know, instead of settling things on a battlefield now, they settle it in the arena, kind of almost like gladiators back in ancient Rome. You know, the fight to the death kind of thing only... Normally, it's not a supposed to be a fight to the death, but in this case, they have to do it because the superstar of the sport refuses to step down. But the one thing that I thought was very ironic for, like, all your dystopian movies, you always see some type of squalor. Scenes, if you've noticed them in any kind of scene where you show, they show any kind of, you know, people just walking by and, you know, extras in the movie... Everybody, you know, everything looks great. There's, you know, the world looks good. Plants are growing. You got animal life. You don't see, like, you know, bad weather or anything where, you know, planets just decaying or, you know, world hunger is going on like you do in other movies like Soylent Green, for existence. And even when they show the fans in the stands for the different games, everybody, you know, you know, or class, they don't look too, too bad. You know, they're all rabid for the sport. And it's just kind of funny that the world would devolve to this, say, however many years in the future, where it would be kind of a one-world thing ruled by six different corporate heads in their territories. And you would just, like you say, no individual freedoms. You just kind of go along, and that keeps the, everything going great until one person wants to rock the boat and literally they have to almost kill the guy back on track because he doesn't want to go along with the, the system. But, yeah. yeah. That's the way I size it up. I just, I always look at it now when I do a rewatch and say, boy, what if this was, you know, after Tom Brady reneged on his retirement this past year that Roger Goodell started whispering to different teams Hey, you got to take this guy out, you know? <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I mean, I do think there is an element. It's it's funny, you know, you, you talk about that comparison. I do think there's an element in, in the NFL of, 
you know, we, we do want these major markets to win championships because, you know, they, they pay our, uh, our, our way better. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I, I think they can't get away with that kind of thing. They, you know, they have to be relatively subtle in how they do stuff like that, because if they become too heavy handed, uh, you know, it's going to become obvious and then it's going to turn into, you know, what professional wrestling is. And as much as, uh, I, get, I have in my whole life gotten a kick out of professional wrestling. Uh, you know, it's not it's it, it's not it's not the money maker that uh, that the NFL is. Oh, no. So they they have to be careful not to go over that line. Uh, but you know, there's certainly been enough uh, rumors out there, and you know, of, of of underhanded actions that take place for that. But Again, you know, maybe I'm naive about it, but I kind of feel like that's purely a money-making thing as opposed to a can-keep-society-under-control thing. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I don't think I'll ever be alive for the day where, you know, we have a sports league that keeps the world, you know, from going to global war, you know. That, yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. So, I, you know, I hate to make this really short... But, no, I understand uh, totally. But uh, you know, I, I don't honestly. I don't have a lot more commentary on this movie. I would, you know, again, I, you know, James Con, I think he embodied kind of a like you say, the tough guy of the '70s feel, uh, and that's you know most of the movies we talked about. And I just want to kind of talk a little bit about that before we call quits on this. Uh, I think you know, even though Brian Song was one of his earlier movies, and, and you you know you, you mentioned that that kind of got him the part of Sonny Corleone, which is actually accurate uh that is i think you know him subverting our expectations and taking the guy who you would perceive as a tough guy and showing him to have the heart of gold and 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 to be a you know a a, uh leader in respect to race relations and that type of thing uh so you know I, i i think that in particular may be his tour de force performance in my mind um I've always gotten a big kick out of El Dorado, which is, uh, you know, pretty much a remake of Rio Bravo, both of which starred John Wayne. Uh, and, and I get a kick. You know, he's in that one. I think it's always, you know, you, the guy with the hat, come here. Uh, you know, he plays the kind of the young gunslinger in that, which is cool. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think, a, you know, a lot of his performances, he felt a little hammy to me, like a little over the top in his facial expressions and all. But, you know, these ones that I'm mentioning, I think, were fine performances and him showing that he, you know, he had it in him to be a really good actor. And, you know, he, he did manage to have some of those make it to the screen, which is just, you know, cool. And, uh, you know, for, like I said I, I, earlier, from every all accounts I've ever heard, he, he was uh, a, a good person, too. So, you know. Well, his, as far as speaking of James Conn movies, one I forgot to mention earlier, I don't I'm sure you've probably seen this. But it's one of the few comedies I've seen James Conn do, like you, like you say, in Elf. He's kind of like the, the straight guy in Elf. He's, you know, he plays kind of the bad guy. But he made a movie with Alan Arkin back in the 70s called Freebie and the Bean, where it was a buddy cop movie that's kind of like a comedy mm-hmm. slash drama, where he's kind of the, not the comic relief, but he's not the straight guy, where Alan Arkin more, more or less plays the straight guy in the movie. And that was like a 70s New York, you know, type of movie. Although I probably, I think it takes place out in California, though. 
Yeah, you know, I, I've never seen that one, so no. I can't oh, you got really comment. Up. Very good. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Uh, and I, I, I'm just trying to see how active he was in his later years, because to me, I think of Elf as a recent movie, which it is not. No, that's what late '90s, I think. I think it's 2003 or so. Um, it looks like he was still active into the 2010s. Yeah, he did a sitcom on ABC about like maybe 2010, 2011 that lasted, I think, about a season and a half where it was okay, but kind of surprised me to see him on, you know, doing TV. Looking at his filmography, there's a movie called Fast Charlie that still has not been released that he's in. Oh, okay. Uh, so, that you know, <laughs> obviously he was active, you know, until close to the end, which is cool. I always respect that. So, where do you rank Rollerball? As far as in the Jaws category, me personally, it would be between a Jaws 2 and maybe a, a 2 and a half. I wouldn't give it a 3, but I'd be say it's a 2 and a 2 and a half. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a fair fair rating because I think it is it's it's not you know Jaws 3 is like yeah it was alright but you know you just move on Jaws 2 is no it was good and I want to rewatch it and all of that I, I think this is you know it, it it's like it wants to be a Jaws 2 it's not quite but it's not a, it's, it doesn't drop to the level of Jaws 3 so it's like kind of right in the middle so it's, it's either a very high Jaws 3 or a very low Jaws 2 uh, and I think if you if you're a fan of movies of that era, you know I've I've talked re, you know recent shows about the you know the dystopian movies of the 70s and I mentioned them again you know some of them again today. If you're a fan of those movies, I think this bears watching uh, as as a yeah. film fan. And and it's you know it's so it's got that going for it. And overall, it's you know it's fairly entertaining. So it's not the kind of movie that you'll watch and think oh my god what you know I wasted my time. Uh, you know, I think you'll walk away and say, yeah, that was, that was all right. You know, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And I, you know, I like, I'm the age I am, you know, I'm an older person. So I would think, you know, the movies of the seventies hold a special place in my heart. So that's why it's easy for me to, to like this and rewatch it where I've got, you know, friends who are a little bit younger than me that, you know, that are in their forties or so that might not find this too entertaining because, this was before their time. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I, I definitely could see, uh, like I said, if you're a movies fan, I think whether you're in your 40s, your 30s, your 50s, if you're a movies fan, I think you'd probably get a kick out of watching this. Uh, otherwise, then you, I think you got to be more aligned with that particular era. Uh, but overall, you know, still entertaining, and, and I'm kind of cool with that. Um I had to, my, you know, my mind is fading here. There was somewhere else I wanted to go before we close this out, and now I can't think of what it was. Well, I know one thing that I remember the one of the first times I watched this movie, and that was always kind of I don't know if you'd call it the the little, not a, uh, kind of the if you didn't know if it was one of the hints they do make in different parts of the movie whether the guys who play the sport of rollerball in this movie are they actual human beings or man made of flesh or are they robots and there's a couple of scenes in the movie 
where when you see them zooming in on a guy who's been, you know, knocked out of action, there's one scene in, in particular when they're playing the Tokyo team and one of the Japanese guys gets knocked out and they show him laying there on the on the arena floor and there's like just a little bit of steam coming up, like smoke. Makes you wonder that. And then when they're at the party, of course, that Jonathan's supposed to make his retirement speech, you hear all the people, kind of the rest of the people at the party kind of whispering like, you know, oh, no, they're not men. They're made in Detroit. You know, they're not real men. <laughs> it's the robots. So that was one of the one things they never did answer. They kind of left it up, I guess, to your own opinion, you know, whether these were real guys or not, because they never really give a definitive answer one way or the, the other. That would have been an interesting way to go with this if, you know, if the movie ended and it turned out, you know, you find out that he is a robot and he is unaware of that through the whole movie, you know, kind of that Blade Runner thought right, process. Right, right. If he's some kind of cyborg, because, you know, they show the guys bleeding and stuff, you know, from the combat on the arena floor. That's a kind of a cool thought. I, I kind of wish they had gone with that a little yeah, that was one of the first things I, I always remember when I, I think the first, I think my dad actually took me to see this in the theater, you know, because I think it was an R-rated movie when it came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, he always told me, he goes, yeah, he goes, you know, I don't know if these guys are real men or they're kind of robots, you know, and it kind of intrigued me in a way. I could definitely see that. Uh, and then they remade this in 2002, which I mentioned earlier. Oh, and yeah. I've, I, I've I never seen that. It's awful. Yeah, I've heard it was awful. And and one of I mean, I guess in particular it's got uh Jean Renault in it who I like. So I'm a little disappointed that it isn't isn't a decent movie. But from my understanding because I've never seen it is it's more of a just an action current movie. It doesn't have the same uh, right. you know, commentary on society that that the original had. Right. It's 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 totally different. Yeah, the plot's different. I was surprised they even named it Rollerball because you know, it's just no beats even give you any kind of throwback to the original, so to speak. Well, like in other remakes where they'll kind of give you some kind of beats that, okay, this is kind of copying what the original did, but not this movie. Yeah. Oh, it's disappointing that they couldn't, you know, take it, modernize it a little bit and make it, you know, a more... Uh make it a better movie instead they just kind of it sounds to me like they just got lazy and tried to just throw something together yeah i i mean i'm almost in the in in the camp where there's certain movies that you know you don't want to see remade just out of sentimentality and even though this is no by no means a you know a, a cinema classic to me it's more in the cult category i kind of felt that way when they did the remake of this you know, I didn't think they needed to, to bring this back to the screen, you know, in an updated version. Right. Yeah, I would agree. Like I said, if, you know, I'm, I'm always open to things. It, it was long enough, you know, whatever, 27 years or so. Uh, if they did it right, I would have been fine with it. But if you're going to just do it the lazy way out, there's no point. Why bother? Uh, anyway, uh, so that's our take on uh, Rollerball and... Uh, you know, rest in peace, James Kahn. And Rich, thanks for making the time. It's This is yet another guest on the show who uh, I've been wanting to get together with for a long time. And, you know, schedules and whatever get in the way. But I'm glad we were able to find some time to talk this afternoon. And thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for uh, letting me jump in, Paul. I'm glad I, you could fit me in your schedule. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us. And we'll see you next time.
You boys want to make this team play for Houston, you're going to have to learn it. We uh, pride ourselves on uh, being a power team. That's right. We're power, we're mean. Now, that doesn't mean to say we like to have you hanging back there on a the rail in a fist fight, just standing there fighting somebody in section A when you're supposed to be in section B. I'm coming up to score and you ain't in the section you're supposed to be in. Don't do us no good. That's right. Who's the uh, two new catches here? All right, uh, yeah, ball. Don't uh, stick your uh, hand in that gutter too quick. Wait till this ball comes down on the track. Don't get too anxious. That thing will take your arm right off. Now, the bikers. A biker might sacrifice a little three minute penalty, uh, run over the top of a skater. Uh -huh. Woo! If he feels that he's skating a little too good that day. So we have a few methods here in uh, Houston. There's hundreds. One, of course, is to use this shield here. Use your pads. Use what you got. Drive that arm in there. Keep your feet forward. Hit and move. You get away from the wreck. Always keep your feet here. Don't come across in here. You get all twisted. That's that. Or if a biker's sitting up nice and high, a lot of guys like to ride high, drag one off him in there. I hurt you, Blue. I wouldn't hurt him for the world. Now, uh, third method, kind of one that was perfected by a little friend of mine, the swoop. Swoop, that's me. Hang up on the rail, use all the speed of the track, come down and drop kick a biker. Say, excuse me, you're, uh, you're not paying a whole lot of attention, are you? Hey, what's this dude's name? That's our new speedball from Manila. Yeah, you know, you know, that's Tuffy. Come on up, Tuff. Oh, he's a big honker. <laughs> <laughs> Say, why don't uh, you do me and the boys a favor? I mean, since you know everything there is uh, to know, uh, we'd sure appreciate it. Why don't you give us a little demonstration, show us how you made that big rep down there. Just skate around and uh, just take me out, huh? Go get him, Tuffy. Now, eyes. Use them. Don't lock your eyes in any one spot. This game isn't all in the muscle. Use your head. Lock your eyes on the target and keep... <laughs> Ears. Now, they're real important, too. 